Our sermon this morning is called Walking Blessed. In the bulletin, it's called uh, Waking Blessed, but that's because I typed too quickly when I gave the title to, to Kylie and noticed it after the bulletin went out, so I'm so sorry about that. In your bulletin, you should find one of these, a prayer guide. Are we still using these? Are these good? Are you enjoying the prayer guide? A few of us still aren't. Great. On the back is the reading for today. So let's, uh, let's read together. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Your wife shall be like your children will be like olive shoots. Behold, thus shall the man who uh, be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see your children's children. So I guess I do need to warn you ahead of time that there are men's and women's parts. I'm sorry, I'll do that from now on. Uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, these songs that we're doing, the Psalms of Ascent, are an invitation into a journey into the presence of God. And we've been working our way through this for a while. Um, the songs are designed to be sung on a journey. Um, after last year, working our way through the Gospel of Luke, who so often stresses that discipleship is journey life. It, it, the, so much of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Luke are on that traveling trip into Jerusalem. It seemed appropriate for us next to go to what was the spirituality of a traveling trip into Jerusalem. And these songs were written for the, the nightly family worship. The worship of the family as they gathered around the fire in the evening. Outside of their home, underneath the stars, or maybe in a tent. On their way to the presence of the name of the Lord. To enter into the temple together. And this week, we look at, at, at a prayer that is strange in some ways. It's a little different from the others. Because this one is almost more a teaching song than it is a prayer song. Most of the times the, the Psalms cry out for some sort of protection or defense or need. The, uh, the Psalms, for instance, will look at the hills that surround you and realize that they're filled with danger and say, where is my help coming from? That's a, that's a cry of need. This one is more a teaching about all human need. Because what we truly need is to be blessed. None of us produces our own good life. It is an illusion that you can do that. You just can't. So many people will burn up all of their goodness in the pursuit of a good life. And they may get a lot of good things, but at the end of it, discover that they don't have good hearts. And without good hearts, what use is good things? Our goodness comes to us from outside. Our only hope for a good life is not something we can establish. It's something we receive. If you want a life that is blessed, then you need a blesser. And this song praises that. It sings to settle the heart and to remind the heart that what you really need is blessing. Not achievement. Blessing. Not security. Blessing. The thing that we need is to be blessed. 
Psalm opens with these words. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. Before we go too far into that, I want to spend just a moment asking, what does that first word mean? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to have a blessed life? For the most part, when we think about blessing, we think about something we want. We think about something really good, right? It means getting something good from God. At least that's what it means to our fallen hearts. You hear people talk about blessing, and they, they talk about great stuff that's happening. You know, uh, you see my new car? Well, I sure am blessed. And what they mean by that is, well, I, I don't want to be accused of hoarding, so I'm going to blame this car on someone else. You know, I, I had a friend in Africa who had a, a, a Muslim friend and a mom who came to him one time and sat down with him. He had just come from uh, the death of a little baby. Someone in, in his, I don't know what you call a, a Muslim congregation, but someone in his congregation under his care uh, had had an infant die. And it was a long string of those. And he came and he sat down with his Christian friend and he said, why is it? That God loves and blesses so much his white children, but he hates his black children. Interestingly, that a mom had done with blessing the same thing that so many Americans do wrapped up blessing in some sort of goods that God can give. You know, why is it that, that these people don't get a good life? In fact, they don't get health. In fact, so many of them don't even get life. If God loves them, why is it so hard for them? And, it, and then you have it so easy. You in the West, in America, in, in Western culture instead of Western Africa, you've got it so easy and things go so well for you. Why does that work out that way? Folks, that's an understanding of blessing that I'm going to suggest doesn't really understand God. I want to put a picture in front of you. Which of these two homes would you prefer to live in? Not a lot of question, is there? And then a blessed life is, oh, wait a minute, I've got to think about it. Yeah, no, I don't. You know, no. Uh-uh. The one with the, what is that, two fireplaces? Or is that a fireplace and a TV? I don't know. But that's, that's the one you want, right? That's the blessed life. It's obvious. Nobody wants to live in a life of disarray and pain. Nobody wants to live in a life where things are falling down. Where the ceiling is caving in. Nobody wants to live in a life where health is threatened. Nobody wants to live in a life where there's a whole bunch of months left and not a lot of money left. Nobody wants to live in a life where, where their marriage is hard and awful even. Nobody wants those things. And so obviously, a blessed life is the life that's got it all together. And, well, that one's not. It's just not. Sorry. You know? Now, I suppose there may be, well, I'll get to the truth of that in just a moment, but let me translate that from living rooms into people. Which of those two people is blessed? Well, if you look at it through the eyes of the world, there's not a question mark. There is zero question about who's got it easier in those pictures. Right? 
I mean, this guy has got it together. Look at that rugged jawline, looking off into the future, already experiencing his dreams. And he knows just what his dreams are, and he's getting them, you know, because he's leaning against the whatever that car is. Oh, what? An Audi. Yeah, he's got an Audi. I don't have an Audi. I have an Innie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that one was free. Uh, <laughs> where is this guy? I mean, he, he doesn't even ha- he doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a home. He's got a cup. That hopefully, he's got some change in it. And if you look at that from the perspective of the world, you can list this guy's blessings. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And he's got a ton. And he's got none. This sermon brought to you by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> but if you look at it through the eyes of Christ, let me ask you, which of these people did, did Christ have more in common with? Wasn't he homeless? Didn't he have nowhere to lay his head? Consider the end of Christ's life. Who do you want? Who do you want? Which person would you want to trade places with? Well, folks, if, you've, if you're a Christian, you've already signed up for that decision. It's that one, not that one. That one. Here's the reality Christ lived in absolute obedience. The psalm says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. There is nobody who lived more obediently than Jesus. Was Christ a blessed man? And see, we know the answer right away. Of course He was. Of course He was a blessed man. Let me remind you of how it went went down for Christ. How did it work out? Not so very well, right? He had no stuff his whole life. When he died, he had exactly one possession. And he watched other people gamble to take it away from him. He hung on the cross without his dignity. He was naked up there. He had no friends there at the end because they all turned on him. Every last one abandoned him. How can anyone say, this is a blessed man? Ah, but who was he? What was that man like who died on that cross? What kind of character did he have? What kind of personhood had he achieved? Who was he within? There are blessings that cannot be taken away when this world takes everything else. And the person who has all kinds of perishable blessings but lacks those is missing blessings in life. We don't truly know what blessing is until we know God. If you want to understand the idea of blessed, then you have to understand the blesser. Because otherwise you will seek blessings from Him that He will look at and go, why would I give you that? Especially the way you're orienting your life. You might get that for yourself. But don't blame me. But oh, the things I want to give you, you can't get anywhere else. The only place that you find a hole 
contented heart. The only place that you find complete security and safety. The only place that you find a life that goes on forever. The only place that you find wealth that can be never taken away is God Almighty. The true blessings of God are God Himself. The truth is, walking with God is its own blessing. Because you are with God. And then no matter what, you can face anything. You can face defeat. You can face disappointment. You can even face sin. Your own breaking becomes no challenge when you walk with God. You can, you can put all of that mess away and overcome it all because you live a blessed life. If you fear the Lord, if you walk with the Lord, then you are blessed. Now honestly, we could stop there and I would be satisfied. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't and I would. There's part of me that that wants this life to, to have something to look for. I don't want to look just to eternity for all the blessings of life. And the psalm is going to deal with that. But I want to point out that very first line. You can be blessed even if nothing comes through for you in this life, and Jesus Christ proved it. Because if anybody ever lived a blessed life, it was that man. And now he reigns over it all. He has everything, and those who are with him are inheritors of all. You want to live a blessed life? Live in fear of the Lord. But there are more to that. The truth is, God is pretty smart. You know, he's pretty clever. He knows how things kind of ought to go. When when God gives us advice, when we hear teaching from Jesus, what we're hearing is words from the designer, from the maker. He knows a thing or two about human life. You say, oh yeah, but (laughs) I've lived for 66 years. Congratulations, you're still dust of an infant. None of us have anything on God. And so when the Word of God speaks, it speaks with knowledge. It speaks with wisdom. It speaks with truth and understanding. And so when He gives us, He's giving us those things. So if you fear the Lord, and if you walk in His ways, there are huge advantages to those things. Missiologists... You know, I don't know if I've talked about this very much, but do you know that I wanted to be a missionary in Africa? I wanted that so bad. I was one class short of having a missiology degree with my MDiv, having a missiology infants, I, uh, uh, emphasis. I couldn't get the urban ministry degree, but one class shy of a missiology degree. And uh, so, I just general degree, but one of the realities that missiologists, missiologists are theologians that study missions. And one of the realities they encounter is something called redemption and lift. Have you ever heard of this? When the gospel comes into a place, those who accept the gospel, their lives improve. This happens everywhere it goes. You know? The health and wealth gospel is probably generated as a myth growing out of the observation of redemption and lift. How does it work? Well, when the gospel comes into place, God comes with this wonderful ethic. 
If you live according to the teachings of both Old and New Testament, and you take those seriously, and you live according to those ethics, there are all kinds of bad habits that you just don't do anymore. You end up giving them up. And it can be really hard to escape from those bad habits, but once you do, I mean, life reorients and a whole bunch of wasted money that you spent getting intoxicated, that you, you spent trying to, for, for some sort of comfort in this life, you stop spending your money on that, and suddenly your kids, those kids are dressed to go to school. In Africa, going to school, the parents pay for it, and an awful lot of people don't go to school. I mean, any school at all, because their parents can't afford it. But when the gospel comes, those kids start being educated so often because money that was squandered on beer is suddenly available. And the dreams they only had as dreams become realities. Folks, you've seen this. You don't have to go all the way to Africa to see this. Think about what happens to people who absolutely spurn God's lifestyle. You've seen it. It's destructive. Because without God, you end up with a kind of nihilism and hopelessness. And in this culture, so much addiction, the opioid crisis that you're hearing about, why are people doing that? There's a hopelessness possessing our nation. A brokenness. And when you don't fear the Lord, you've got to fill the gap. But you end up putting sugar in the gas tank. You end up putting destruction into your own life. And people reap it in all kinds of broken ways. You've seen it. Rebellion against God and His ways is destructive. So the psalm says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His ways. And the first thing that it helps you to see that that is truly a reality has to do with wealth and prosperity. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Now, of course, this is, don't take this as like magic guarantee, okay? That's health and wealth gospel, and that's a lie. The gospel always includes the cross. It always does. And the cross means life in this world, even lived by the best of people, can come up short. Ultimately, eternity fills all those gaps in more than enough. But, as a general law, As a general principle, life that is lived by God's ethics is better. Period. In fact, even if it does not work out, and sometimes it doesn't because unrighteous people, unjust people, will mess with you. You will get taken advantage of. If you do the things God says to do, my goodness, how often does He say things like, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to you to the left as well. Well, you know, that's supposed to shame the other person, but there are people who live without shame. And if you're doing the honorable and good things, sometimes you get hit on both sides of your face. Sometimes they do take both your cloak and tunic. Sometimes unrighteous people hurt righteous people. Even then, you're better off. It's still well with you. Because if they take advantage of you, they don't take your integrity from you. You still have honor, even if you lose your stuff. Even living brokenly in this world is better. 
than living a brokenness inside that you can't heal. And so if you walk with God in His ways, you're always lifted up in triumph over it all. Most of the time, it shows up in tangibles. But even if it doesn't, you're still better off. Period. The next verses are... Well, they require a little bit of translation. I'm going to suggest your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Okay. You know, and and a vine within your house. I don't think I want that. Uh, When I was in in college, I had friends who had a vine growing on the side of their house, and it had broken through a window and was in their bathroom. See, that's not optimal. You know, in Arkansas in the summer, that means their house was really hot. That's not something you want, you know, but what? Or you'll have children like olive shoots, because that's the metaphor I usually think of with kids. You know, they just stay right there. They don't move very much. Uh, They never produce anything. Olive shoots don't grow olives, you know. What is he talking about? Like I said, it requires translation. How many of you can read that? I can't either. And I'm going to suggest this requires some translating too. Because we don't think of kids the same way the Hebrew mind thought of kids. You know? In, in terms of uh, personhood, we think of ourselves as individuals first and part of a family second. Okay? So my connection to my family life gives me some of my identity, but my real identity is me. So I'm Ethan, and if you want to know which of the Ethans I am, I'm Ethan Brown. In a lot of the world to this day, I would introduce myself as I'm Brown. And then if you want to know which of the Browns I am, I'm the Ethan one of those. People thought of their identity, their their personal identity, as the most recent log thrown onto the fire. It is the flame that matters. The family That matters. This is why barrenness was such a big deal in the Old Testament. Because that meant that you were going to die as the end of the family life. You were putting the fire out. Okay? So having lots of kids meant the flame would go on. And in some way, you would be carried on with it. In the ancient mind, death, as long as the family progressed, didn't end you. But if the family stopped... Who knows? Things go up in the air. That's why you have love right marriage. So that a a, a brother would would take a widowed but sonless wife into his home and raise up children for his brother. Why? So that his name would continue. So the flame could continue. Those wouldn't be his kids. Those would be his brother's kids, even though genetically they're his. It's so that the flame can continue. So in the ancient world, you thought of kids as, as... Free labor, for one thing. They're coming into your house. They're keeping all of you alive by working in the field. you know. And also, you know, maybe more protection, the more people you've got. But ultimately, this was your hope for eternal life. And of course, eternal life wasn't well understood in the Old Testament. And the idea of, of heaven and hell, that doesn't really get fully fleshed out until we get to Christ. But it begins back there with those, this, I can continue on if I have kids. And so if I have a wife who's like a fruitful vine, and if I have like olive shoot children, that's awesome. That provides me with a hope for wealth and, and security and life eternal. Those were the longings of the heart. 
So for, for the Hebrew mind, that's what children were. Okay? So if we want to translate that into us, it's more like those things. Does that make sense? So blessing in this psalm is a life well lived, is a, a true wealth, a wealth that can never be taken away, a life of security and protection and safety. There's safety in numbers. And a life that doesn't end. Those are the longings and hopes of this psalm. And what the psalm is saying is that God gives you that. And that your hope for that isn't found anywhere else. So when the people prayed this, they're settling themselves into the idea of, I have exactly one hope, and it's God. Does that sound familiar to you? But oh, folks, the siren song is all around, and we are constantly hearing the pulls that say, you can have a good life, do this. It's in every single commercial. You can get rid of ring around the collar, and then your, your life will be great. Want whiter teeth? Here it is. You can have security if you invest in Vanguard. You can do it this way, this way, this way. No. God is your hope. There is no other. There is no other. If you want a good life, you don't get it by acquiring. You get it by being blessed. Period. So the psalm ends with, the Lord bless you from Zion. And you'll notice he recaps the kind of blessings he's put in front of you. May may you see prosperity of Jerusalem all of the days of your life. Meaning, may Jerusalem be filled with people who live according to the ways of God, such that it results in prosperity for the whole nation. May you live in a good community filled with good people, and may you be a good you. And then may you see your children's children. May you have that security. May you have eternal life. That's the hopes of this psalm. May you be blessed. And may those blessings come to you from Zion. I wish I could still pray that. You can. Where did that happen again? It is from that that you have received blessing upon blessing, grace and mercy, and the kindness of God, the friendship of God has been established for you by that. Where did it happen? It's flowing from Zion to this day. You live in the world secured, filled with blessing that comes to you from Zion. So when you pray, may the Lord bless you from Zion. You're praying the truth. You're praying it for all your friends and for yourself. And the life that prays this prayer can end with this. Peace. Peace be upon Israel. Peace be upon the people of God. And the truth is, the blessed life is always peaceful. Period. We come to God filled with needs, filled with hurts, filled with sorrow, filled with brokenness, and and devoid of peace. But when we come to God, He brings us to peace. I wish that 
there's part of me that wishes, and I think this is probably the fallen part of me that wishes this, that he did that by solving all my problems. You know, taking care of everything that I need, or that I think that I need. What he does instead is he heals my troubled heart. And sometimes, folks, sometimes he does act to resolve a problem that I feel threatened by. But the truth is, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope for the resolution of all problems has been established. It's finished. The blessing is done and is ours, and it waits. But even in this broken life, I can live a life of peace because I know my God loves me. And I know my God is good. And I know my God's love is changing me and transforming me and giving me what I really need. Because remember, on the cross, He had nothing. And he had everything. He was a good man there. He died a good man. And the wicked evil of this world could not take his goodness away. And that's a blessed person no matter what comes. And you can have it too. And when you have it, you live in peace. We come to God in need. We don't leave. He walks with us. And we walk blessed. Come what may, no matter what happens, you walk with God, you live the blessed life. It may be that you're looking into your life right now and you're like, man, I am in need. I've got this big problem sitting on me and I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. And I really wish God would take it away, but no matter what, I need prayer to get through this thing. Well, if that's you, Let us pray for you. And it may be that you came to this place and you already knew when you came here that you were going to end up sitting here, or at least you think you probably should. If there's something you need to confess or something you need to lay down, if there's some way that we can pray for you, if there's some way we can care for you, let us know. And if you're not following Jesus Christ, the invitation is always open to you. There's no better way of life than following that man. If you're you're subject to the invitation of God, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing. In need of love.